Welcome to the Close Knit Podcast, a podcast that aims to hold space for conversation about the ways we use fiber to process life and world events. I'm your host, Ani Lee. My interest in fiber goes back to childhood, when I'd pore over bedding catalogs and obsess over fiber content and thread count. My mother, bless her, taught me to knit at age 10, and I've fallen increasingly in love with all things fiber ever since. I started the Close Knit Podcast in 2016, and I've had the pleasure and privilege of speaking to over 50 incredible people since then. On this podcast, you'll hear from all kinds of folks who share a love of fibers, from full-time practicing artists to those whose main practice is mending their garments. I'm interested in hearing and sharing as many people's stories and experiences with fiber as I possibly can, because I believe each of these unique stories is powerful and teaches us more about how humans use fiber to make sense of the world around us. This podcast is supported by a very special community on Patreon. Pledging just $5 a month there helps me keep Close-Knit up and running by covering hosting and streaming costs and paying my wonderful editor. I cannot thank you all enough for your support, as it's what enables me to sustainably continue this work. So if you've ever enjoyed an episode, please consider pledging your support at patreon.com slash closeknit. That's www.patreon.com slash closeknit. Hey, it's Ani of Close Knit, and I am here with Grace Rother for the final episode of 2020. Grace Rother is a lesbian quilt maker and writer. Hi, Grace. Hi. I am so, so happy to have you here. Me too. I'm so excited <laughs> to be here. I know. Virtually. It's like, <laughs> so wild. It's so interesting. At the beginning of this year, I was like, I'm going to record the podcast in person. I'm going to do only in-person interviews. And I was like really amped on getting this opportunity to like be physically present with people. I think we've all been thinking a lot about like, how do I get out of my virtual world and into the actual world? And how do I engage with my actual community that's right around me? And I was like really pumped. I was like, yeah, okay, I've got these two people already that I'm thinking of. And I'm sure lots of amazing like Oakland and Bay Area makers exist. And I'm going to like have them over in my closet and record with them. And then I got what? <laughs> <laughs> One, I got to do one and I looked back on it. It was with Gianna Seaburger and she we, she came over to my house and it was the week, I think, or like two weeks before shit got very crazy, like actual lockdown. It's so weird thinking back on that. I just, yeah. It is. I mean, at the very beginning of, I think it was February, Tammy and I were talking to our friend and we were like cautiously sort of saying like, I think we're going to like be like really more successful this year. Like, I feel like financially, this is going to be like a really great year for us. Like things are working out. And then it was just like, boom, (laughs) just kidding. (laughs) All the plans of 2020. It was just like, nope, sorry. No, here's this other thing. But (laughs) I do, I actually want to start straight off with normally I like ask people about like their earliest memory of textiles. And I'm sure we'll go back I feel like you've got all kinds of interesting like family history with textiles, but I want to start with like a very present thing, which is the abolition quilt project that you worked on. And like, I'm just so excited. And so I was like, what, $12,000? Like a huge sum of money. I just, can you talk like for people who don't know anything about what you were doing? Can you tell us about it? Yeah, absolutely. I totally wrote some notes about it too. Cause I was like, it's all going to vanish from my mind as soon as I start talking about it. Yeah. So in the end of May, there were a bunch of protests in Chicago and we were getting noticed that like the bail bonds were getting used up and I was trying to figure out at the same time sort of what I could contribute because as a super anxious person who does not thrive in a crowd um, my contribution to a protest is like not helpful (laughs) Um, so I wasn't going out Tavi was going out and I wanted to figure out something I could do and I wanted to contribute to bail bonds but also had lost my job and Tavi had lost her job. And so I was trying to figure out how to sort of make something happen that way. And I was thinking about it and was like, well, I'll just, I can't contribute my purse, my body. (laughs) So I'll pick the thing that I'm like most proud of that I've finished and raffle it off. And at that point, that was this like little wall quilt that I was like really proud of. It just turned out exactly 
not even exactly, it turned out better than I could have hoped. And I was so excited about it. And I was like, okay, people will give me money for this for sure. And so I did a raffle for that and it raised $1,700 and I was totally blown away. And I was like, okay, that was successful. Like if I could have like sold that and donated the money and it would have only been a tiny fraction of this raffle. And so then a little bit after that, there was a membership drive for the Detroit People's Food Co-op, which I, which is like a project I, that is near and dear to my heart because I love food co-ops and I love Detroit and I go to Detroit a lot or I went to Detroit a lot when I traveled <laughs> away from my home and block. Um, yeah, and it's a project I've been following for a long time. Like they've been working mm. on this food co-op for a really long time and making sure that it's like fully backed before it happens and it's getting really close, but you have to be a resident of Southeast Michigan to be a member. So I can't be a member because I'm in Chicago. And I was trying to figure out something I could contribute to that because I was like, I want this food cup to exist. And I did a raffle for a tote bag and some, a pot holder and some things. And that raised some money for that. And that felt great. And then I was like, okay, there has to be a way to make this not just me sitting alone in my house. And at the same time, I was sort of trying to figure out like what what skills and resources I have that could be turned into something useful outside of just like making me money or making something for my bed. (laughs) And I was reading about quilting bees and quilts a lot. And Mm. I knew from being like a super nerdy child who read a lot of historical fiction, that quilting bees were a part of the abolition movement and were used as a way that women could raise money who maybe didn't have access to other ways of of making money or of creating political change. Right. So then I was like, okay, well, a quilting bee, but also it's the pandemic. And so it has to be virtual because you cannot sit and breathe in a room with a bunch of other people. Um, yeah. And then I put the call out on Instagram asking folks to join. And my friend Kayla Ginsberg and I sat down in our respective homes and sort of brainstormed and wrote up a plan for, for the quilting bee and composed that first email, which I think you got. Oh, yes. That like, you know, we wanted to encourage people, um, to join this quilting bee as a community event, but mostly to join it to start having conversations about abolishing prisons and defunding and abolishing the police. Um, And I wanted to start some conversations about that in the quilting community because I didn't see it happening as much as I want. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Yeah, and also because they're sort of concepts that I think like get, it's a lot easier to get comfortable with them after you like talk about it a lot. Yeah in the society that we live in, the thought of there being no prisons when we are like a country that has so many prisons and so many imprisoned people, it's a big jump from like everything that our society tells us growing up. And I know for me, it took a lot of conversations with people who were got there ahead of me (laughs) to kind of wrap my brain around it. Yeah. So that was a big component of the quilting videos. I wanted people to read some articles and even just if they were like, I got this email about this abolition quilting bee. Like, what is that about? Like that conversation alone. I was like, okay, that's like one small thing. Yes. (laughs) Um, I definitely wasn't expecting to get like 120 emails. And in my like initial hope for the project, I was like, okay, maybe I can like make a bed size quilt and like people will contribute like, you know, half the squares and I'll like fill it with something, something else. And Um, but 120 people emailed to be involved and yeah and then another component of it to go back another component was encouraging people encouraging people to use fabric that was significant to them or pattern that was significant to them yeah because I think I mean the quilting world in the whole world is huge and made up of people of all different backgrounds and experiences but the quilting community that I see on Instagram and in sort of the, our current textile world (laughs) or the world that I'm in um, is largely like white straight women. 
Right. And this is sort of like an assumption on my part, but I, I got the sense that a lot of the folks in the quilting community that I engage with on Instagram might be somewhat detached from issues with prisons and police. Right. So I wanted there to be some kind of a personal investment in the project. And I know for me as a quilter, I always feel a lot more connected to the pieces I make when they are made of something that already has a story mm. and already has some kind of a personal connection because it just like adds this layer of emotional investment. Yeah. And I felt like I could ask that of people with this project and wow, did they deliver <laughs> everybody. You yeah. included <laughs> the pieces. Each one was just like an absolutely stunning quilt on its own. Mm. Yeah. And so folks started mailing in these squares. They were, I asked that the squares be one foot by one foot because I didn't think we would get very many um, because I didn't expect to reach so many people. So I was like, let's have them be bigger. <laughs> yeah. Because then we can make a quilt faster. <laughs> and even if we don't get very many, we can make a big quilt. Yeah. Um, but then I ended, up getting, I ended up getting enough squares in the mail to make three pretty big quilts. Yeah. I had enlisted a local cafe as a mail drop spot because um, right. I was nervous about putting my address out on the, on the internet. Fair. <laughs> you know? Reasonable. <laughs> yeah. Like a, seems like a bad idea. Um, and so they were like, yeah, you can have our mailbox. We don't get mail. Mm. And that was really fun because... I got to walk down to the cafe every couple of days, which like, I wasn't really leaving the house much right. at all. So having a destination was like lovely. Yeah. And then it's like, yes, I have to go to the cafe <laughs> right now. And then almost every time I went, there was more mail than fit in their mailbox. And oh. everybody that worked there was so excited. And I would open the boxes, like sitting on the bench out front and like show off all the squares and we would talk about them and read the notes that came with them which was lovely and then I sewed the pieces all together and Tavi ironed all the seams open and Bless her. she's amazing and uh one of the cool things that happened with the project was that as like I kind of started it without a plan for where to get batting um mm. or backs or how I was going to quilt it or what was going to happen. Like I didn't really like figure any of that out. And as the project went on, folks just sort of like appeared and were like, hey, I have this. Like, I don't know if you need a sheet for the back, but like I have a sheet I can send you. Or um, Deva, who's one of the quilters, um, they have access to a t-shirt quilting factory nearby somewhere who donated strips of batting and then Deva pieced them all together and made quilt size batting chunks that were then mailed to other quilters. So that was, everything just sort of appeared <laughs> as the project rolled forward, which was really fortuitous. And it was cool. It was really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was so special to watch. Like it was such a, I remember getting that first email and just being like, oh, of course. Like, this is how you run something like this. This is how you connect someone to both some like an important sort of issue that will take thought and conversation and reading and more thought and more conversation like this. It just felt like such a reasonable entry point, no matter where you were in your sort of abolition thinking. It just like it just felt brilliant. I was like, how did she think of this? This is so smart. Like I, I just was so. Yeah. I, I had was a very impressed, which is <laughs> so you. cool. Yeah, no, I'm, I didn't know that there were, yeah, I mean, I, I know that there have been lots and lots of helpers, but that first sort of seed point of like, let's talk this through, you know, virtually or whatever it was, like just feels, yeah, that's really cool. It's really cool to hear more about the details. Thanks. I mean, a big part of it too was that, you know, Tavi and I had both lost our jobs. And so I had unemployment and was like, okay, also this feels like a sort of weird opportunity where I'm getting money that does not come from being at a physical job right. or like really doing anything for the first time in my life. And I was right. like, okay, I like, I have this opportunity to figure out how to do this thing now where I'm like basically getting paid for it by Illinois. Thank you, Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it was like, okay, well, like 
I can really throw myself into this project and give it all of the time that it needs and see how much time it needs and see if it's something that I could do while also like working a job or working full-time on my quilts or doing something else. And then, and you know, eventually my unemployment was contested by my old boss. And so there was like a period of time where I was like, oh, like I thought for, there was a period of time when it seemed like I was going to have to pay all of that money back. And it became sort of like, okay, like, would I do the same thing again if I hadn't been financially supported through unemployment? And it was cool to be able to be like, yes, totally. I like totally could do this and be working or do this and be like focusing on my practice. Um, Like it seems like something that I I think I'd like to do again. At the end of the the raffle, I was like, I'm gonna do one in the spring. And then I was like, wait. I'm going to do one a year because (laughs) that was like doable, but also so much work. Totally. Yeah. Like two a year, I think is might be tipping it. Yeah. I was like, I'll do one. Let's start again next week. (laughs) I was so excited. I mean, it was so cool. And it was so cool to see it come together and then see the way that, and you may are, you may speak to this in a moment, but just kind of the way that you also structured then how you were thinking about how to have a raffle that is equitable mm-hmm. and how to how to host something that felt like as you kind of named like relied a little bit more on the community to like show up and and spread the word more but like it really fucking worked and that was like <laughs> so cool to watch yeah i really wanted every part of the whole project to be as approachable as possible and yeah. i think that i think that with abolition work that is something that gets in the way sometimes mm-hmm. is it's such a big concept. Like it's not actually that big of a concept. I mean, you know, it's huge and it's also like feels really basic, but I think that there is so much passion behind abolishing prisons and defunding the police. And I think that we need people who are put off by that language to also get on board. And so I wanted it to be as like soft and sort of holding as possible yes and I wanted to continue that in the raffle so with the quilt I wanted anybody to be able to make a piece and so I didn't make any sort of requirement for what the piece looked like Mm. because I knew that there were folks who would want to be involved who like had never made a quilt squirt before and there were a lot um and there were a lot of folks who taught their friends how to make quilt squares so they could be in the quilt so there were a lot of like first ever quilt pieces and they were all beautiful. And I wanted the raffle to also be the same sort of level of approachable. Yeah. And I think sometimes you see auctions where it's like, okay, this is cool. It's raising a bunch of money. But in the end, one person is responsible for all of the money that gets donated. Right. And it's usually the person who has the most money, which I don't like. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Um, yeah. at all. Like, I just don't like that. Yeah. And I think raffles are a little more fair in that way. But I also see a lot of raffles where you can buy a sort of infinite number of tickets. And it ends up being the same thing where it's like you have a much bigger chance if you have more money. And mm-hmm. I didn't want that at all. So I also was really nervous that limiting it in that way and having the minimum entrant be $15 was going to like really limit the amount of money that we could raise for Asada's daughters. But then people super showed up <laughs> and so cool. I did not need to worry. <laughs> I think my, my secret goal was a thousand dollars a quilt, which I thought would be a really, really great contribution and like really fair to the quilt makers also. Like I wanted mm. everybody's work to be valued. So I, my goal was $3,000 and then we hit that like really fast. And then I was just sort of like in shock <laughs> the rest of the weekend, just so like wandering. Cool. It was amazing. Like that is so much money. It is half of what I made last year. It might be more than half of what I made last year. Yeah, it's a huge amount of money for like most. Yeah, it's a huge. Yeah. It was amazing. Like just seeing you write that number, I was expecting it to be like pretty solid. But I was like, what the fuck? I was <laughs> so. So happy. Yeah. I'm still really happy. Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> it feels it feels like so many people came together to make it happen too. I mean, it was 403 people donated. Um there were I think there were like 
over a hundred people sent in quilt squares mm. and so many people just like came together to work on it and yeah. it felt great because it's also been such a lonely year of yes. like really feeling alone and disconnected and definitely not meeting a lot of strangers at all. <laughs> so like getting to communicate with like 120 strangers somewhat frequently was also really nice and getting mail was excellent. Yeah, yeah, totally. That was we, Being a participant too, there was this kind of like, oh, I'm looking forward to the next email that comes along and I'm looking forward to the next step of like, you know, like, something about having like a framework finally like a okay the the due date is this like Mm -hmm. and then I put on my calendar like a week in advance so that I would do it before then and try (laughs) to make sure that I'd gotten everything mailed to you because I like you know was worried about the post and all this and it it just there's something about this year in particular where like I just never have I mean I, I still work and occasionally like I need to go somewhere but for the most part like I don't really have to be anywhere at any particular time and that kind of like languishing time feeling and also like absolute shortening of time feeling has really been very grating <laughs> yeah absolutely <laughs> So having a thing where I was like, I have to get this thing done and not in like a scary pressured way, but in like a, this is very achievable. It is a 12 by 12. You know, I'm by no means a solid quilter, but I like know how to do a patchwork sort of. And Josh cut it more or less (laughs) straight. I have a real hard time cutting things straight for some reason, even with like a, you know, I finally got a uh, rotary cutter and I like still can't really cut things straight I I had somebody asked me to give them like some quilt guidance in a trade recently and they were asking me all these questions and I was like I have a feeling that I am learning more from you because you're asking me these questions about things like you know like the grain the direction of the grain and I was like none of that is a part of my practice oh yeah at all because I I'm not I don't know <laughs> so I was like, like, yeah I don't know that, that that I think I mean and this is another thing we can probably talk about but just like that part of your the way that you approach craft air quotes however we want to talk about it, a making practice is like that is something that I feel like is so special and and is part of like again this like idea of accessibility of just being like I just started. I just used what was right in front of me. I didn't mm-hmm. worry about, and knowing that you can make, I think that that's something that feels so special about your work is like seeing this beautiful object that's come out of this thing where you're like, I didn't necessarily line up the grains and guess what? <laughs> it's fine. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> guess what? I still made something really fucking beautiful, you know? Although lining up the grains will help you cut straighter. <laughs> That's what I learned from this person I was teaching. Okay, that's good to know because that's probably part of what I'm struggling with. Because <laughs> I'm always cutting things and then I hold it up and it's like an S shape. Yes, literally that. Whatever. And then I'm like, I guess I'm going to lose some fabric in the seam. <laughs> it's fine. It's totally yeah. fine. Yeah. Fabric never lays flat. Like, you know, I mean, unless you're making tablecloths. Right. Like if it's wonky, it's not going to be noticeable. Right. I mean, I guess if you like are in quilt shows, I watched, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos and I watched a, like a homemade documentary of somebody like walking around a quilt show in like the late nineties. Oh, wow. I don't know how I found it. I don't know what it is. Yeah. I didn't even watch all of it, but there was a part where they were like checking whether the quilts were like had square corners and were like actual had parallel sides. And I was like, no. <laughs> Yeah, this is, I just rolled my eyes. I like, yeah, yeah, this is not. Don't relate. (laughs) At the beginning, I think we might've talked about this very briefly in like an Instagram message or something, but towards the beginning of the pandemic, they had the Rosie Lee Tompkins exhibit up at the Berkeley Art Museum slash PFA, Mm -hmm. which is close by, which I was like, you know, pre-pandemic, I was like, I'm definitely going to that, you know, when I'm less tired and less like burnt out from working or whatever the fuck. And then like, it didn't happen, but there was a like virtual tour that the the person who had curated it, I think, gave. It was it was really interesting because it was like super neat to have this whole kind of narration of of her life and her work and the person who like 
anyway, lots of weird, interesting things. Some of the some of the ways that it was worded, I was like, benefactor? Like, I don't, okay, that's a weird word for that. But it was really interesting to hear the call-outs that were made about the way that she used motifs or color or this or that. Like, things that I just never... I never feel like I have that kind of like artistic vocabulary. I'm just like, oh, it's nice. (laughs) I like it. (laughs) It's pretty. (laughs) Somehow that really works. Like I I couldn't put color together that way, but it like looks really cool or, oh, it just feels warm or like it feels soft. There's this like you, you kind of mentioning that feeling of approaching something with softness or to be held has felt like something I've tried to come back to. Like when I I do, did a little more gathering of people when I lived in Tasmania. I just feel like mm-hmm. I had a little more bandwidth. I had health insurance, you know, just yeah. basic, <laughs> you know, basic shit yeah. that we should the all things have. things that make you more able to be soft. <laughs> yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was there, I feel like I kind of did, I was thinking about feminism, just like basic ass feminism in kind of a similar way that you're talking about abolition work of just like, how do I get people who've like, like dudes, cis white dudes who've like never really thought about or like kind of think feminism is like going too far or whatever the fuck, you know, kind of stuff that really freaks me out. But just I was trying to think about like, how do I even find a space that could be soft enough for somebody who's never thought about this or who has always associated it with something dangerous or scary, which I think is along the lines of exactly what you're thinking about with like prison abolition and defunding the police is like there's a level of like fear that people have of like but what would what would we do about crime you know is right question right I mean that's sort of the first comment that people have is like well where do the criminals go and it's like wait hold on (laughs) you're like there are many more layers here (laughs) let's like take that in a different direction and like talk about how like people are not inherently criminal and like you know, it's not about like criminals right. at all. Right. It's about investing in community and like people and right. not about just like tearing down these buildings and wreaking havoc on the world. Like it's actually really cool and sweet and human yeah. and in a way that like having a prison can never be. Right. And, right. And like, you know, there's a human way that you can relate to that right no totally and I feel like there's a whole there are all of these pieces that you know it's like I feel like there's been this has kind of been memefied or something recently of just like yeah we we mean defund the police and reinvest those funds into all of these other places that will help keep communities safe and healthy and well and housed and like all of this stuff that is like oh of course like and learning about how police budgets are allocated and how they like are the first people on the scene at all of these different things where you're like why is a police officer the first person on the scene here like yeah like why is that power given to like a person with a gun who like has like legal permission to murder people like i mean that is that is way scarier to me (laughs) (laughs) but that's also not how we're taught to look at the police at all Right. And even though all of that information is like in every basic news source where it's like, you know, if you collect the stories or organize them in your mind a little bit, it's like there are clear patterns. Um, But you also have to be taught to see those things. And, you know, I think that people learn a lot faster and are much more interested in learning with kindness. Like if the person teaching them like approaches them with a kind of loving relationship, which is really hard to do when somebody like super disagrees with you on a fundamental level. Right. Um, Right. Like as a gay person, I can say like, I have hit that wall (laughs) many times and it's really hard to be loving and soft when someone is really scary and threatens your ability to exist as a human being (laughs) right right yeah I mean I think that that's something that's interesting about this work and the sort of boundary of this work of like 
like, I think it is really awesome to, to have this vessel, this like soft vessel to connect to other people through and to have, to be able to be like, great, I have this platform through which I speak about these sorts of issues and topics and to be able to do it through like the abolition quilt raffle, you know, like there's just these, like, they don't know, they're almost like little, like, I'm just going to sneak that one in there and then you're going to learn about this. But obviously there's like a point at which where if somebody like disagrees with fundamentally your right to exist or to marry or to, you know, just these really fundamental things, it's sort of like, for me at least, I feel like there's just got to be a level of like self-protective, like, okay, no, we don't go any farther than that. Like, I don't know. It just seems so wild to have to like defend your literal existence. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. that is what boundaries are for. And right. I think that, you know, is sort of like the main issue that I have with Instagram is that it's really hard to set those boundaries. It's either like, I'm going to block you and you have no access to anything, right. or I'm going to like be fully accessible to you. Right. And that's really difficult. And then, you know, luckily, I mean, I, I haven't gotten a ton of unkind or like kickback. But the few like really homophobic folks who have like, you know, gotten into my DMs to like say some shit about me, like it's really changed how I approach Instagram. Like I have had to set some really strong boundaries because it's really important to me to protect Tavi and it's really important to me to protect myself. And at the same time, I also feel like it is really important to talk about these things to talk about prison abolition, to talk about co-ops, to talk about like all being gay. And I have this like cool opportunity to do that wrapped in literally the softest things, which are like sweaters and quilts. Yeah, (laughs) and and sweater, the sweater that literally every person on the internet seems to be buying. (laughs) Oh my God, yes. (laughs) This like, I can't, I have to talk to you about this because I am so, I feel so confused about my own personal emotions of like, do I actually want this thing mm-hmm. because I like it and it will look nice with the sorts of things I wear? Or do I want this thing because literally every single person that I follow on Instagram wears it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, I can tell you. So what we're talking about is the Baba sweaters. Thank you. Yeah. And I can tell you that having now made an approximation of one, like, it is the best sweater I've ever had. Okay. And We're so here, folks. <laughs> I think people like it for a reason. Okay. And I think that it's like definitely a mix of some deep hype because like, you know, I feel like there are people who are like, I have one in every color. Like, it's totally a thing that everybody should have. And like, <laughs> I mean, ideally everybody would have this sweater because it's really great, but it also costs like $300. Right. And so not everybody can have one or even seven (laughs) you know like (laughs) it just is not the the thing that everybody can spend money on right but oh my god it's like the coziest most flattering thing I've ever knit okay okay I mean you're you're, you're bringing me around I like I am so again this is another thing I guess before we started talking I was thinking about (laughs) I was thinking about like all the things I really admire about you and one of those things, yeah, sorry, this is just going to be like me gushing a little, but one of those things is, is like, you have a really clear sense of exactly what you're doing from the outside. Like, you know, when you're making a thing, like with the Baba sweater, for instance, you're like, I have a very clear boundary here, which is that I'm not going to create a pattern for sale around this that I know that this is like not my idea that I like more or less copied this from someone else. 100%. And I'm, yeah, like, I'm like very happy to like literally say that that is what I did. And like, yes, I'm going to like share with you these notes that I made about how I did it because I know you're going to want to make your own. And like, I mean, your brain must be, yeah, I'm like still just like amazed. <laughs> um, but just this like, I see this time and time again in the way that you share and in the way that you write of just like really clear. You just know, you seem to have very like little doubt, like this is the thing, this is what I believe and this is what I'm doing. And it's like, I think with the Baba sweater in particular, it's a really interesting example of that kind of like deep knowing that you sort of hold within you of just like, 
I have a decision around this and I know how I'm going to share this in a way that feels good and right to me. And it's very cool. It's just like very fucking cool. Thank you. I fully credit that to my like deep German Virgo, like doom spiral, like chaos visions of the future. Which is like pretty much anytime I put something on Instagram or on the internet, I think like, okay, what are all of like the most stressful and most overwhelming things that people might ask me about this? And how can I confront that without it even having happened yet? Which is exhausting and like maybe not, maybe not like the most helpful thing, but it has helped me to set really strong boundaries around what I'm willing to share with my work and what I'm not willing to share. Yeah. And I think part of that too is just that for, I mean, more or less since I moved out of my parents' house, but mostly for the last five years, I've really focused as much of my time and energy as I could on my art practice, um, which does not always make any money. I sort of like have balanced work and art with like having a job, saving money. And then when I have like a little cushion like leaving that job and then working on art and trying to like stretch that for as long as I can until I need to get a job again, Mm -hmm. Um, which is an incredible privilege, like getting to do that and being able to like have a partner who has a job who is steady and is willing to, you know, put up with really, really confusing and changing income on my end is amazing. And having a savings so that like if something goes wrong and my plan doesn't work I can fall back on something like that is also really amazing and not a privilege that everybody has but it's also made me really careful about my time Mm -hmm. and about what I do for money and what I do for myself and I love to share the projects that I do for myself but often stuff that I make myself is not something I would ever want to make or sell for any number of reasons. Yeah. And stating that up front, like just cuts down on the amount of time that I spend on Instagram saying no to people, (laughs) which I really would like to do as little as possible. Oh yeah. Like, oh, knit this for me. Like, no, I will not knit this for you. Like, no, totally. If I knit it for you, it would be more expensive than just buying the expensive sweater in the first place. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That's something that I think people frequently, even folks who have some kind of creative practice, like who I kind of just expect like, oh, you do a thing that takes you a long time. You'll get that like things just take a long time. (laughs) (laughs) Therefore, like this will cost you a lot of money. Like I had someone asked for knitted socks and I was like, I don't sell them because they'd be $300. Like, yes, knitted socks is a big one. Yeah. I'm like, it's going to take me at least eight or 10 hours, like at a minimum. And if I pay myself like what I think is a reasonable wage for that like skilled labor, then it's going to cost you at least $300. Yeah. And they might not fit your feet because right. they're not like standard sizes. Right. They're <laughs> like all, they're all different. Against <laughs> my feet. I'm like, oh, well, hopefully. I know yeah. like most of my socks, sock trades have worked out because people have like roughly the same size feet as me. And I'm just like, yes. <laughs> yeah. Tavi just asked me for a pair of socks and like, I cannot say no. I have like many, many pairs of socks that I've knit and Tavia has none, but she also has giant feet. And I'm just like, okay. <laughs> yeah. <is> love. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. You will get these in two years. I hope you wear them every day. Oh yeah. Don't wear them out ever. Yeah. <laughs> I will never darn these. So please yeah. don't, don't ever darn I will send them to Maya. Yes. <laughs> And my Gosh, that was such a good that was such a good trade that those darns just looked I'm doing a they're chef's amazing kiss. they're beautiful yeah yeah Maya is an incredible mender really truly so lucky to know her yeah be in constant mutual admiration with her so nice I like that so much about and I, I'd love to hear your perspective on this because I, I don't know if like I'm sure there are like ways in which my intersecting privileges like bubble me from some of the shit that the internet can be but I feel like for the most part this like tiny corner of the like craft quote quote unquote internet that we have seemed to found ourselves in (laughs) is like mostly pretty great yeah (laughs) people are great and they care a lot they care a lot you know like 
they care a lot about each other and about thinking about how someone else's experience might be different to their own and, and like being willing to empathize with that and like sit with that and also have this like interesting, I don't know, it's just like kind of amazing to me that we find like these people who are very thoughtful and also make really cool stuff too. Yeah, absolutely. I was just trying to think about how, like, I think specifically like my sort of like love trio is like Kellen who does Yoke Handmade and Maya Skylark, who's a mender and like textile enthusiast and yeah. also just like the sweetest person I've ever never met. <laughs> but I think I have no idea how we met. Like I kind of remember mm. like seeing this outfit that Maya had made and being like, Ooh, wow, like who is this person? And I remember seeing stuff that Kellen made like popping up all of a sudden everywhere. And I was like, Ooh, I'm into this, but I don't remember how we became friends. Right. And I think it is really cool. Like that is a cool thing about Instagram or social media in general, that like you can meet people and be brought together with people who you would never run across right. otherwise. Like Maya is in Maine and Kellen is in Nevada City, California. And I'm right. like right in the middle. <laughs> and like, we would not have crossed paths necessarily, but now we have this community and it feels really cool and lovely. And then at the same time, I'm like, I hate Instagram. Right. Well, that's something I was really interested to talk to you about too, because again, another, another place I'm like drawing inspiration from you is around like how to share and how, how it's possible to like share work in a way that can both be like a bit of a financial support, but also mm -hmm. like just be like, I, I think I've, I had thought a lot like last year maybe about like maybe I do just like want to have a Patreon and that's actually where I share because ultimately I reach maybe 200 people and like or it's like right now it's like 100 but like maybe I reach around 200 people and that feels mm -hmm. like a really reasonable size yeah. of like people to regularly <laughs> engage with you know right and they're people who really want to see what you're doing right right so I've just been I've been thinking about like I see you kind of iterating on this process that I think many of us are kind of in this cycle with of like, cool, Instagram's great for these, like for being able to host a raffle and get the word mm -hmm. out quickly. And also to be able to like, see what your friend is making. And like, so I can't quite find a way to like get all the way off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the raffle really, like I was like on a hard path of like, get me off of Instagram as mm. fast as possible. I don't want to be on there. It feels terrible. I watched The Social Dilemma and it freaked me out. But also I've always been afraid of Instagram because like I just have some like weird, deep, hippie paranoia of the internet that's like, oh, what are you doing with my images? I don't know. Do you own my quilts? They don't. But it's just like weird sort of like discomfort yeah. with being so dependent on something that I have no say in. Right. Makes me really uncomfortable and is doesn't kind of goes against the way that I try to live my life. So there's that sort of like feeling of discomfort. And then I also had a realization a little over a year ago that I'm not a huge social person. Mm -hmm. I like to have like a handful of really close friendships that I really invest in and really engage with and like are deep connections. Like I love being deeply connected to like a handful of people. Yeah. Instagram is like the opposite of that. And I was yes. realizing that like, I would be working on something and thinking about somebody and be like, oh, I wonder if they had their baby. And then being like, I don't know their name. And that is so weird. Like being like, I'm like aware of these intimate details of these different people's lives, but I don't know their real names. Right. I've never talked to them. I don't even know if they're a real person. I mean, they're probably real people but it was just this sort of like yeah. feeling of like what am I doing like am I also just this sort of like not fully real person who's like lightly sprinkling my attention throughout this huge group of people right and I really like pulled back a lot and realized who I wanted to be engaging with which is again like a handful of people it reflects now more my personal life um, but then the raffle kind of like shifted that because it was like, okay, like this is a really great opportunity to be able to reach a couple thousand people. Like, yeah, I can't do that with my personal small group. Although I will say that a lot of friends who were not on Instagram 
did a ton of word of mouth sharing about oh, the raffle. Cool. And I saw a lot of like moms, like childhood moms, oh, <laughs> people I knew God. from when I was little, like showing up. And like, oh. I could tell when my friend Ashleen like reached out to her address book because it was just like Ashleen's crew. I was like, oh. yes, it's not just Instagram. Yeah, I <laughs> mean, that's mouth and heartwarming. Yeah, because it's hard. Honestly, for me, it feels and this is maybe too big to like admit on a podcast that I host, but like, I don't really feel like I have long term connections. Like, I don't feel like I could I have like maybe four people from like elementary through to high school that I like would feel comfortable reaching out to being like, hey, I miss you or like, mm -hmm. hey, I'm doing a thing. And I. So sometimes I feel like Instagram has been like how I've actually made, I mean, it is how I've made like some really, really important close friends. But it's also, I wonder too, if there's this part that like, like one of those friends I made like five or probably six or seven years ago now when we, she was like blogging and we were on Collabora together. And then we eventually like you united on Instagram. And I sometimes I'm like, like I credit Instagram for that relationship, but like, Maybe not. Maybe it was actually just the emails back and forth that we had. And maybe that was how it was seven years ago. And like, it's yeah. not that anymore, you know? The crew of people that I feel close with on Instagram are all people that I have connections with off of Instagram. Yeah. Um, like Maya and Kellen and I, like we exchange mail and we're mm. like email sort of like pen pals. And that was something that I wanted to do because I don't feel that Instagram is a great place to make friends like yeah. it is but it also is a curated small portion of yourself that you're putting out there right and for me I know that there are like major parts of my life that are omitted from Instagram right. and I had two friendships start recently where someone reached out to me on Instagram and was like I feel a connection to you I'm physically near you. Do you want to like get coffee and be friends? And in both of those cases, it was so interesting because from a really superficial level, I could see like we had this connection. And then as time went on, it was like, I don't feel attracted to you, like in the way that I want to feel attracted to my friends. And it made me really like step back and think like, how do I make friends? And usually it's like, I see someone at the co-op and then I <laughs> blush every time I see them for a year. And then one day someone else introduces me to them and we become friends. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. like, it's definitely not like Instagram. Yeah. And I think that like friend crush is really important. Yeah. And it's not, I don't know if it's possible to have a friend crush on somebody when you only see the things that they want to share. Right. I wonder about that too. I've definitely had instances of people being like, like just internet relationships where again, the reach out was the other direction. And it was a little bit like there was this expectation of what I would be like, or, or maybe I just felt like there was an expectation of what I would be like. Sometimes when I teach, I get really worried about like, did you think I was going to be like this? Did I live up to the like quirky kind of like vulnerable person that you think I am on the internet? And it's interesting because like, I am mostly really that like I mm -hmm. really for the most part other than like I do think that over the past like three years I've gotten to a place with like my therapy <laughs> that like I am actually doing a lot more processing internally before sharing things with people which I will say is not something I have always done like yeah. you know just kind <laughs> of really good <laughs> Like, let me just, you know, share my feelings because people will validate them or they'll come to my rescue. And I, um, I can see it now happening. Sometimes I'll come across somebody who's, who is like just processing on the internet. And I find myself like feeling really taken aback and like really uncomfortable. And I think it's because I can see like my younger self doing that and like, totally remember how that would feel to be like, I feel so alone and so sad and like, going to Instagram to like look for validation around that and now I'm like hi therapist I'm so alone yeah <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm still not alone and sad in a lot of you know in some instances but it just like um yeah I don't know I process differently yeah. 
don't know. I think that is really interesting because I also, so I started, you know, the, the Instagram trajectory that I'm on now, because I've had like a bunch of different Instagrams because I'm, you know, when you're like, I'm going to make a business out of my art. Sometimes you come up with stupid names for it or you like have collaborations that fall apart and you just have to make a bunch of different Instagrams. Um, but the, the trajectory I've been on now, like both my, the blog that I do not ever write in and my Instagram both started around the time when my grandparents died. Mm -hmm. And I was just like, in, not in a great place. Like they were really important people to me and also really complicated people to me. And I just was like not doing very well in my brain. And I definitely like took to Instagram. I was like, I feel alone. I don't know who to talk to about grief. I don't know who to talk to about this like loss of like ancestral history that I'm experiencing mm -hmm. with the loss of my grandparents, but also like the sort of like, like my, my Oma was like one of the most important people in my life and also like the most homophobic person I've ever had to interact with. And so like this mix of like grief and relief and just like a freedom to be myself again, but also like grieving, grieving alone is like its own whole thing. And I definitely overshared and I like overshared hard. And I wonder now sometimes if like that is part of why people followed me. I mean, I think that a lot of people related to that really emotional writing and really raw writing. And I'm glad for the connections that I've made and I'm glad for the conversations I've had about grief, but I'm also like, oh my God, I can't believe I said that on the internet. Yeah. I can't believe I bared myself so naked to the world. And mm -hmm. like, I have like archived, I love to archive, constantly archiving. <laughs> um, but it's an interesting thing where I definitely find that as I set better boundaries with Instagram, I have less of these emotional connections with people because mm. the things that I could connect with them about, I no longer feel comfortable sharing. Like it was right. one thing when it was like, you know, 400 of my friends who I love and like more or less could name versus like, I feel like when my following to beyond like a thousand people, I was like, this is a lot of strangers. Right a lot of strangers <laughs> right yeah and I remember days where I could like name the people who consistently interacted with my posts or something and I knew who I knew what was going on with mm -hmm. them and like sometimes it would be totally serendipitous and they happened to also live in Sydney and we would happen to meet up and they would let me borrow their you know blocking wires so I could block my first shawl and stuff like that that like was so sweet and so sweet you know I think I like I so I so want that kind of like serendipity that I'm not getting in my regular life because this is something I like it's it's so silly but just like I don't really even drink coffee or like do that very often but like every so often I just really like sitting at a coffee shop in the window and just like watching the people mm -hmm. it's wonderful <laughs> it's like one of my favorite things and probably is maybe how I would make friends too I don't even know anymore I'm like how does a person make friends yeah I don't know but I just so <laughs> miss that like that and then like having that access to a little bit of like serendipity I feel mm -hmm. like there's like that is increasingly being pulled away from however Instagram works so that kind of yeah. like magic is starting to like fizzle or something yeah I agree because I mean, part of it's not having it be in real time or like, the, right. you know, I know everyone is always like rallying against the algorithm, but like right. it does <laughs> sort of like distort time. Right. And so you're not able to connect on the same level of like, oh, this happened at the same time as this. Right. And like, it is so nice in life when that happens. Like the other day I was, um, was that yesterday? It might have been yesterday. I literally have no idea what, I, like, is it Saturday? I think it's Saturday. <laughs> yep. Uh, no, it was on Thursday because today is Saturday. Um, Tavi and I went to the lake and I was, I've been taking naps on the beach, which has been like the best part of this year. Yeah. Like just lying, we go to this beach that's really rocky and you can, even if you lie like three feet in from the water, you can feel when the waves come in and they shift the rocks slightly because oh, you're on like a pebble bed and it's really so cool. Nice. So I like to like do that. And I was lying there and I was sort of like trying to empty my mind of thoughts and this like thought jumped into my brain that was like, I wonder if Maya got her potholders. 
And then when I got back to the car and I checked my phone, I had a text from Maya from the same time that I thought that, that was like, I got my pot holders. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, yes, we are connected <laughs> in real time. Sweet. Yeah. Well, and I think I'm doing more of, I'm, I'm trying to find more ways to get the people that I am close with on the internet into my phone in different ways where I'm like, mm-hmm. can I get your phone number? Can I get your email? Can I, I'm like, have not been great about snail mail in a long time, but like when I have the, uh, momentum, I, mm-hmm. I will, uh, I'll message them or, you know, write them a letter, but it's, I don't know. I, I, I guess, so I'm really curious. I'll kind of wrap us up a little bit. I'm curious, like, where do you think we can find you in these coming months? What are you, what are you feeling excited about? What are you working on? I'm working, I have a bunch of quilts I'm working on Yeah, cool. that I've been totally neglecting. I think the stress, like I was super stressed about the unemployment stuff, which is resolved and not stressful anymore, but Good. that stress was like, kind of knocked me out of my practice, which it takes a lot to do. So I have a bunch of quilts. I'll be writing about them mostly on Patreon, mm-hmm. which is, I've kind of just transitioned my sort of like chatty Instagram presence over to Patreon. Yeah. Which has been really fun. Cause yeah, it's, it's cool. It's <laughs> yeah. great. I love being a patron. Cause I'm like, it's Oh, really great. Fun. Straight to my inbox. And then I get to like read Grace, Grace's cool posts and like, here they are. And I don't even have to go to Instagram. <laughs> it's like, cool. well, and it's really nice. Like the first three people that signed up were like, my three oldest friends and so I was like okay this is already worth it like it's I'm I already want to create content for you because I would love to just write to you all the time anyway so that was like I'm really I'm enjoying Patreon good good so I'll be on there I will definitely be on Instagram but I'm taking a break after the raffle until at least sometime in January um, which feels excellent Although if this comes out, I will happily pop on and be like, I was I'm, thinking, I, I was like, I feel a little bad to like, <laughs> no, totally happy to do that. <laughs> no, totally happy mm. to do that. Um, yeah, I will definitely be on there. And I'll also get on if I finish a quilt, you know, cause I, it's nice to be able to tell more than a couple hundred people that right. I finished one. Um, yeah. So I'll be there and so Patreon and Instagram. And then I have a newsletter that you can sign up for on my website. I've been sending it out monthly, but I've kind of transitioned to more weekly. And it's really like, again, just sort of a letter to the, that I write every week to people that I love. But it also goes to a lot of strangers who I'm sure are also lovely. Um, but that is a good place to find out about things that are going on because I do do quilt updates and write about opportunities and things that I have going on on there as well as just like, rambling about the mulberry tree outside of my house who I love (laughs) so it's a good mix of like here's like the pancakes I've been making here's what the tree is doing also like here's what's new in my quilt practice yeah I love that I feel excited about that excited about both like witnessing you and feeling like it also gives a little more permission to the rest of us for me at least it's felt that way where I'm like huh maybe I could do that more and a little Mm -hmm. less of that you know it's like yeah I think I have a little fear of like how much, how little the kind of like barrier to entry is of Instagram of just like, I had a thought and I'm going to put a picture and move and done, you know, it's like easy and I don't have to think about it. And yeah. as a person who like works at full time and, you know, it's just, I need a lot of rest. I need, you know, there's like all these things where I'm like, I just need things to be very easy or I won't ever do them or share them. And so I've yeah. worried a lot about like, how will I have the energy to like create a newsletter that people actually want or like that is worthy of someone's like inbox, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I will say that I like sent my newsletter out to 20 people for like two years and was like super grateful that they were reading it, but also like definitely sent out some like rambly, not worthy of anyone's inbox bits and like everybody forgave me. (laughs) It's fine. Yeah. It makes me want to experiment. It makes me excited about like the possibility of like the spaciousness of, of gifting ourselves back that kind of scrolling time and, and also the Mm -hmm. like being able to be more in your world, your actual physical world and not necessarily yeah. seeing what everyone else is making or not making or buying or whatever, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the yeah. buying part is especially freeing. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think it's like part of it too, is that you get to make the rules. And I yeah. think something else that I realized recently was that like everybody has rules for their Instagram and they're all different. 
Yeah. They're all completely different. So yes. like everybody is doing Instagram their own way. And like right. the way you do it can change whenever you want. Yeah. It can be whatever you want, or it can be nothing. Like you don't. Right. There are no rules. That feels really good. <laughs> it just feels like really good. The plastic quilting too. Yeah. <laughs> and knitting 100%. kind of. <laughs> I mean, kind of agree. Yeah. 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 There's like a couple of things you kind of sort of have to do, but like. Yeah. Hey. Other than that, like, you know, you could do it your own way. People have been for so long. Yeah. Yeah. Not Instagram. That's new. Yeah. <laughs> but. Yeah. <laughs> Everything else, like you can find someone doing it a way that is completely different from how everyone has told you it should be. And it is also okay. Yeah. 100%. Thanks for being here, Grace. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking me. It's really wonderful to have you. It's so nice to talk to you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. The Close Knit Podcast is hosted by me, Ani Lee. A huge thank you to Andrew Bruce for writing podcast theme music that makes me genuinely smile every time I hear it. And giant thanks to my amazing producer, Amelia Harubi. You can subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts and support the podcast on Patreon at patreon.com slash close knit.